doesn't go. Okay. Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. The fear of God consists in laying to heart all that the Torah has so far taught you about the greatness of God, such as his omnipotence, his grandness, his omnipresence, his endless activity, his majesty, his giving of the law, his omniscience, his scrutiny, his justice and judgment, his just retribution, etc. In impressing all this so vividly on your mind that the thought of his greatness never deserts you, and that everywhere and always and in everything you behold the almighty, great, creative, omnipresent, all-ruling God. Aaron, could you, could you guys hang out on the bench on the front porch, please? I think that way you could talk freely, or in my room, and we could learn freely. Hashem, who watches to see whether you fulfill this will of his, and examines and judges and requits you. Yeras Hashem means, strictly, to see God everywhere and to feel your own littleness in his greatness. And then at the end of this essay in Chorev, he talks about, let God everywhere reveal himself to you in everything great and small. Seek him everywhere. Okay, so that's the Yira side, and that is definitely Gavuros. In fact, in Rav Hirsch's, in the brief commentary on the Siddur, he defines that in Gavuros, we learn to focus on Hashem's all-conquering might, and in doing so, we unlearn the fear of any other power, which allows us then to stay calm and serene through all the challenges and vicissitudes of life. So this is, this is literally the avoda of Gavuros. This is the job, and that's what we talked about for quite a long time. And now we were going to go on to the words. But being Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, um, and this is something that, that was really brought to my mind in the Parsha this past week. So we got to Parsha Shalach. Now we're already going into Korach. And it just blows us away. Right, the whole Parsha Shalach and the whole this terrible, terrible fall, and I mean, this week is the beginning of of the Gullus, Really, it's the Gullus that we're still in. Um, it's it's the beginning of of the seasonal Gullus, right? So we're going into Tammuz of Tishabov kind of time of year. Um, and this is, so there's a piece from an essay from the B'nai Yisachar. Um He combines his discussion of Tammuz and Av together. You'll see how this, how, why this ties into what we're learning and why I kind of didn't want to skip it. Okay. I wish I had had enough time to read all these essays because I'm sure they all build on each other, but. Even this part will be helpful. He says the following. He says, first of all, the sorry, one second. The there's a pasuk in I think it's Yirmiyahu. Yeah, he says uh, it's probably an Echa. Chet Chato Yerushalayim. By your said by your meow, not in your meow. Chet chato Yerushalayim al kein lenida haisa. Jerusalem sinned a sin, and therefore she has become a nida. Okay, so nida means one who has been pushed away. Kelsey, this may sound familiar to you because you overheard a conversation, <laughs> not about nida per se, that Rabbi Apter and I had a few Shabbases ago. It was a continuation of his Devar Torah where he talked about um, such a situation where someone whose tummy can't come into the base on Mikdash. And the message being, you, you don't belong in here. And we had quite a heated discussion about how far you could say that that went, more or less, right? Okay, I think this touches on that. I don't have to tell him I said that. <laughs> I think this touches on what my point was. Okay, but but they're both really the same point. Jerusalem has sinned a sin, and therefore she has become like a nida. So she has become tame, and the word nida literally means pushed away. He says this is a little bit of a difficult pasuk if you look at it carefully. 
He also said lechora means at first glance. But it's at first glance if you read it carefully. Why? Because we tend, you know, they always say like Eskimos have 20 words for snow. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's like a common saying, meaning the, the more important a topic is to you, the more expert you are, the more refined your vocabulary for that topic will be. And certainly that's true in a very broad sense. There's a lot of research on deaf children and how they learn language. So for many years, uh, it ended probably when I was young, it was encouraged that deaf children should be prevented from signing in order that they would be forced to learn to read lips. Reading lips is really, 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 really hard. It takes many years to even get basic proficiency. So they would be forced to learn to speak and to read lips, and that way they would be more in, connected to the society, around the greater society. But there's an enormous body of research which shows that what that does is it prevents them from gaining the internal intellectual language skills because now they're being held back and handicapped in it. I mean, obviously, being deaf is a handicap toward language acquisition, but it can be acquired fully through sign language. It can completely develop, and without the complete development of language, conceptual development is stunted as well. So they would go into classrooms and find that these deaf children who had been prevented from signing, although there, there was nothing wrong with their IQ, but their IQ was measuring very low. And they would never ask questions like, why? So there was a certain conceptual brain development that was halted or stunted by the lack of language development, especially during key years. Okay. In English, okay, so that's like a broad example of it. So whether or not there are 20 or 29 words for snow, different flavors of snow in Eskimo, like, I don't know. But, but the point is a valid point, which is that the more you know about something, the more, the more fine-tuned your language will be for it, and vice versa. The more you fine-tune your language and make your definitions, the more you learn about something. Okay, in English, we don't have lots of words for sin. <laughs> that may be significant. Not going to go out too far on a limb. All right, but in Hebrew, there are more than one word for sin, not millions of words, but more than one. And one of them is shogeg, or shagaga, and one of them is, okay, shogeg means, shogeg isn't a sin. Chait is a sin, but a chait literally means a sin of negligence. Okay, that's one of the definitions. There are different ways of defining the difference between chait and avera and avon and Okay, but chait normally in Tanakh does not mean someone who intentionally went out with the purpose of committing a crime. Okay, so he says there's a problem with this verse because sh because chait is shgaga is generally accidental is is not quite it but negligent. In other words, you could have been more careful. You didn't mean to do it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. That's shogeg. You really didn't mean it. It wasn't what you were thinking about. If you had thought about it, you could have prevented it. But you didn't think about it. it was, it's a thoughtless sin. So if chet is shogeg, then what is this verse telling us? Jerusalem sinned thoughtlessly. Not on purpose, but without thinking. And therefore she became like Anita. What is this Pesach telling us? He says, ah, and I'm going to skip because he's making a different point also. He's saying what this Pesach tells us is, therefore, this is a new shot. She is only like Anita. What's the difference between the prohibition? <clears throat> okay, Anita means she's pushed away. So, as in the context of that conversation, someone tame who can't come into the base of Mikdash, right? Okay. When it comes to relationships, a man is forbidden to certain women, or women are forbidden to the man. Let's put it in that. That's usually how it's phrased, okay? Not always, but usually. Okay. So, a man is forbidden from being intimate with his wife, who's Anita. He's forbidden from being intimate with a close relative, with a married woman. Okay. With all of the forms of arayos, of pro prohibited relationships, all of them are permanent. 
they are permanently off limits. That's the you don't belong in this room, right? That you don't belong in here. But Anita doesn't not belong in here. Anita is temporary. It is a function of time. So that's the difference between Nida and all other forbidden relationships. Which now you go back and he takes that back into the passage. Because the sins of Jerusalem were hate, were thoughtless, they were bad, but they weren't out to be there, right? Therefore, Lanida Haisa. She was made tame to God like Anida. It will take time. But but that's all it will take is time. Something will change over time. It will take, but it's not permanent. That by itself is like, that's a great Torah. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to go on to the next sort of section. That was from the end of Os Beis in the first Mimer. But now I want to take that and go forward. So piece number one is time, a matter of time. Let me just make a note here. Okay. I feel like it's noisier than usual, but maybe it's because I'm a little sleep deprived. I don't know. I'm more sensitive to it. Okay. Or maybe it's just noisy. Okay. Hine his boning. So he says, now we're going to think about, and this is gonna this is a little bit Kabbalistic, which for the Bnei Sachar means not very, because he's usually much more than that. So you got to pull out the things we could learn something from. According to the Sefer Yetzira, according to the Book of Creation, I know, that is a Kabbalistic book, that the, the month of Tammuz, okay, every, every, the Bnei Sashar, one of the things he does is he goes according to every month, and he learns out, based on the Sefer Yetzira, which combination of God's name letters uh, corresponds to the month, which tribe corresponds to the month, which part of the body corresponds to the month, which letter of the olive base corresponds to the month, which astrological sign corresponds to the month, and the symbol for it. I'm not imagining it. Yeah. It's really what <laughs> okay. I mean, this happens every week. That's the truth. So I don't know. All right. So the Sefer Yitzira says, and I had I skipped this earlier, that God crowned the month of Tammuz with the letter Ches, he, uh, he set, not crowned, he, he established the month of Tammuz with the letter Ches, with Re'iya, with vision. You see where we're going here, right? It started with Yerushalayim, right? Mm-hmm. And since it's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, like, I hope you'll forgive me for pushing off our progress another week in that area. And is associated with, I guess we'd call it Scorpio. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And of is the letter Tess and Shmia, hearing, and goes to a lion. All right. Now, first of all, right away, he says Ches and Tess, that's Chet. Ches, Tess is Chet. I mean, there's usually an Aleph at the end, right? But Ches, Tess is Chet, and we know that because we've seen that. I mean, we know that because you can read it. But... Also, we saw that with Yaakov, right? Yaakov wanted to reveal the end to his children. Mm-hmm. And then he said, maybe I can't. And the Shekhinah left him. So he said, maybe I can't because you don't have the letters, Kates, for the end. He wanted to reveal the Kates, the end mm-hmm. of the Gullahs to them. Mm-hmm. And they said, we may not have the letters Kates, but look at us deeply and you'll see we don't have the letters Chestes. We don't have the letters Kate in our names either. Right? Because it kind of goes together with that whole, with the whole Gullahs. Okay, yeah. So, the Sefer HaYetzira says that Tammuz is associated with Re'iyah, with a vision, in terms of powers of the soul, physical abilities, abilities that are the senses, that bridge the physical and the spiritual, to some extent. Okay. That corresponds to Tammuz in the year. Everything has its correspondence. And hearing corresponds to Av in the year. And if we look at the tribes who are arranged according to their, um, to the flags in the encampment in the desert. So we have Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zavulun corresponding to Nisan, Yer, Sivan. That's one direction. 
The next one is Reuven, Shimon, and Gud. Reuven corresponds to Tammuz, which is the month of seeing. Reuven's name is Reuven. See, I have a child. That's his name, is See. Yeah. Alkane yeah. Amra Leah, but Leah that's Reuven, Lashon, Re'iah. That's why Leah, when Reuven was born, used a terminology of vision. Ki ra'o Hashem be'onyi, Hashem has seen my affliction. Which seems like a strange thing to say at a happy moment. I mean, I guess she was happy, right? But when you correspond it to Tammuz, it becomes even more poignant. Vishimon and Shimon, whose name means hearing, right, corresponds to the month of Av and the sense of hearing. And Leah said when he was born, the word, uh, a terminology of hearing, Kishama Hashem, Hashem has heard me. First she said, Hashem has seen me. Then she said, Hashem has heard me. Okay. And then there's a comment here that I don't, I mean, I understand it, but I, since I, I don't understand why he said it, I assume I didn't understand it. Okay. And then we find that even the names of the Nisim, the princes, who were the leaders of those tribes in the desert, also correspond to those months, which makes sense because the leader is the one who is in some way encapsulating the people under him. So at the time of the Miraglim, and this is what's significant because now we're in the time of the Miraglim, literally, I mean, today is Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. They left, I don't know if they had 30 days in their Sivan or not. I have no idea. Somebody probably does know. But they left, they departed, the Miraglim departed on the 29th of Sivan. So basically their trip was in Tammuz on the beginning of Av. Right, they came back on Tishabov. It was forty days later. So their their tour of the land is Tammuz and Av. The bulk of it is in Tammuz, which is the month of seeing, and they went to see the land, and that's not just like a cute like that's what the verse is saying, and they come back in Av and they talk about the land and it is heard, right? the The real problem is not even the talking as much as the hearing, the fact that the Jewish people heard this and accepted it. it accepted it. I'm really tired. Accepted it. Okay. So there was a a flaw or a damage in Tammuz to the power of seeing. And there was a flaw or a damage in of to the power of hearing. We we somehow wounded our senses. And through this the damage to our sight and the damage to our hearing, a decree was decreed during those months until Hashem will have Rachamim on us. And we find that the Nasi of Reuven and Shimon, they must have received this damage, they must have been inflicted with this damage first, so to speak. The flaw started there and then cracked through the whole diamond of each tribe. So, for example... Reuven's leader was Elitzur ben Sizdei, uh I don't remember how you pronounce his name. I don't know how you pronounce his name. But it's spelled like Shakai or God is my light. And he ended up being um, swallowed into the, into the Machlokas of Korach. Because the tribe of Reuven mm-hmm. had a particular presence in Korach's Machlokas. And Zimri ben Salu, because, you know, they all died in the desert, but these died in worse ways. They didn't even just lie down in graves and not wake up the next morning, as did so many. Um, And Zimri ben Salu was the head of the tribe of Shimon. And, of course, he sinned with Cosby, the Midianite princess. Um, And Zimri, it's also interesting, Zimri's name, which is like singing, which also would be like, connect to the, the sense of hearing. Okay, and he, he says this explains certain psukim where we ask Hashem to, to hear and to see, or to see and to hear. That somehow these are the two things, and what we're asking is that he heal or repair our vision and our hearing in this area. Okay, and, that, and he ties it to tuba'av. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay, so Tammuz then is dealing with an impact on our sight that got flawed and got damaged or got misused in some way 
like using, uh, there's a kind of muktza where something can be muktza because it's valuable. Why would something be muktza because it's valuable? So if you have a really, really, really expensive salt shaker, it's not muktza. But if you have a tool, like a surgeon's knife, a scalpel, that's muktza. Why is it muktza? You could use it to carve strawberries, <laughs> right? The problem is that you wouldn't normally do that. You normally use a scalpel only for surgery because it's an expensive piece of equipment and it has a dedicated purpose. And if you use it for the wrong purpose, if you use it, an expensive or delicate instrument for the wrong purpose, you tend to ruin it. So then it's muktza because the assumption is that there wasn't a use for it on Shabbos that was permitted. Even though you really could use it for something permitted, but it's in a, unless you decided that in advance for some strange reason, the baseline assumption is that you did not have any use for it on Shabbos that was permitted because nobody uses things the wrong way when they're expensive, valuable, or delicate. So we have these expensive, valuable, and delicate kohos that Hashem has given us, and it got misused. The vision got misused, and therefore there's some kind of damage to the vision. And since we're talking about Yira and Yira Shemayim, I wanted to bring another couple points about that over here in terms of Tammuz in particular. Um, and what what we might do about that a little bit. Um, So, I actually have some other notes, but I don't think I can find them here. Okay, so first, I just wanted to show you in Shalach. Oh, here's the... <clears throat> That's very strange. Don't know. Can't explain it. These aren't the same names. Anyway. Um, Moshe says to the to the spies to go spy the land or Isem and see the land and see what it's like. And when they came back very interesting. It doesn't even say that they saw it. Different pasuk about that. What I, what did I wanted to read to you, but now I'm really very puzzled. It almost sounds like they didn't do what he said. It's very interesting. So it doesn't use the word perceiving. No, what what I was about to read to you was where they showed them vayarum, which is a very forceful word for showing. Vayarum is like you stuff it down their throat only with seeing. Okay, they showed them as priha'aretz, the fruit of the land. But now I'm going back, yeah, like, okay. Moshe says to them, he sent them Lasurus Eretz Canaan to tour out the land of Canaan. And he said, Aluzeba Negev, go up to the Negev and go up to the mountains, or Isem Esa'aretz, and you will see the land, which is almost passive, okay? That, like you'll be on the receiving end of seeing it. Mahi, what is it? And the nation that lives there, what are they like? And the land, what is it like? And the cities, what are they like? And the productivity of the land, what is it like? Are there trees? And it was the grape harvest. <laughs> and then it says, and they went up and they toured the land by Aturu, right? They, they scoped it out from Midbar Tzin to Rehov to Levo Hamas, and they went up in the Negev, which is what he told them to do, and they came to Hebron, where the children of the giants lived, and they came to Nahal Eshkol, and they cut the branches of the fruits, and they carried the fruits, and the place was called Nahal Eshkol, that's what we talked about on Shabbos, and they returned from the Latur Esa'aretz, after 40 days. It doesn't say anything about them having received the visual impression that he said that they would see. So maybe that's what went wrong. I don't know. That's really weird, right? 
Normally, like if you look at when something's done, kasher, diber Hashem el Moshe, like with the Mishkan, you have the same words again to the point where, right, when you're reading it, you go like, why am I reading this again? Just tell me he did it. But you can appreciate why. Because if Hashem told Moshe, build it in way A, B, C, and then the Torah comes back and says he built it A, B, C, it was fulfilled. It's really scary. It's like what you were talking about earlier on your, your trip yesterday and the things that you saw that were you know, dis- discordant. discordant, right? They didn't look for those things like, like you had been looking for those I things. guess. I guess. Although the fact that we noticed it, it made it jump. I mean, sometimes it's easy to notice the things that aren't good because they jump out. Nothing jumped out at them maybe because it was all good. I mean... Right, what jumped out was only something that was a glitch. But that wasn't the impression that seems Moshe was hoping would be made on them. Anyway, they, come, they came back to Moshe and Aaron and the Jewish people to report to them what they had seen, Vayarum, and they showed them the fruit of the land, but it never said before that they had seen it. So that's very odd. Well, no, it'll say that they heard them. So they, they told them, now here I do see a report of it in their report. So they, when, they, when the Miraglim are speaking, they say, but the people who live there, this is all very nice, but the people who live there are very powerful and the cities are very fortified and the children of the giant, the descendants of the giants, Ra'inusham, we saw them there. Let's see, I mean, the, according to their report, they saw them. It doesn't even say that they saw them when they were there. But when they come back, that's what seems to have made an impression on them. And there's Amalek there. And Kalev tried to hush them and said, don't worry, we can do it. And the other spy said, no, we can't. And they brought out slander against the land, which they had toured to the Jewish people, saying the land which we toured is too too um, too harsh. And all the people that we saw within it, anshemidos, are too, too great. Over and over again, they keep saying, this is what we saw, this is what we saw, and what it is they saw were the people. It's not the land. Hashem said you're going to go. That's, that's what happened. Moshe said, go see the, you'll see the land. And they come back, and they haven't seen anything there. And when they come back, the one thing they can remember seeing is the people and how scary they were. There's, I think there might, must be something to that. Mm-hmm. I did not notice it before. Probably explained by this very classic statement, Vanihi be'enenu kachagavim. And we were in our eyes like grasshoppers, v'chein hayinu be'enehem. And so we were in their eyes. I think that explains it. They didn't see anything at all. When they remembered back and they remembered how scary all the big people were, then they said, what we saw was only ourselves in our own eyes, and that must be how they saw us. So that's how we see them. Nothing to do with what our eyes even saw. It's it's all a projection. That's really what they're explaining, that whatever we saw was a projection from ourselves, which means they didn't absorb anything. Because while you're projecting, you're not seeing the truth of what's around you. You're only interpreting it based on what you expect to see or want to see or afraid of seeing. You're right, it doesn't say that they heard them. I think it's also interesting that Kalev and Yehoshua try and answer to the point. They say the land is so good. As opposed to the Miraglim who keep talking about these people were really scary. They come back and they say, but the land is so good. Right? Ach Bashem al timrodu, don't rebel against God. Vatem al tiru es am haaretz. Wow, you could read that two ways. Don't be afraid of the people in that land. That's afterward. Ah, after we told you how wonderful it is. It's all good. It's all good. 
Now they address the other spies, and they say, Al tiru es amaaretz, which could mean, don't be afraid, that's really the shot. don't be afraid of the people there. But it also means, don't look at that. Don't see it. Don't see those people. Right? Their shadow has passed from them. Like, they're not even people anymore. Because Tzilam would be like their Tzalem. Like, they're dead. They're they're dead. God is with us. Do not fear them. Don't see them. It's the same meaning. It's exactly what Rav Hirsch said about unlearning the fear of other people and powers. When you see Hashem, then what you don't see is fear of other people. Al tiraum, just like don't see it, don't be afraid of it. The people of the land, yeah. See, maybe you guys don't understand. <laughs> don't fear, you Amharitz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Quite. I don't think so, but probably from this we would learn something about the meaning of Amharitz, right? Normally, uh, it also can depend, because sometimes you can have things that the Lushan of the, t- of the Torah might be different. The, the term you're using of Amharitz is a Lushan of the Mishnah and Gemara, oh, okay. right? So where an Amharitz definitely means a Jewish person. An Amharitz wouldn't be used to describe, uh, I don't know, a Roman, right? So an Amharitz would be a Jewish person who is not educated in Torah very much because the definition of not very educated Jewishly is quite a high standard, <laughs> right? A person could be an Amharitz and be literate and no Chumash and Navi and Ksuvah, like, and still be an Amharitz. So, Yeah. We still have a ways to go. Okay, so that was kind of the next starting point, was this fact that we are going into this season of Golos and going into this season of Tamas and going into this season of Torah readings. All of this is about Yira and seeing and something missing in the seeing. Um, so another piece of this, two other pieces here. One is a Ramban, which we have seen numerous times, but since it's one of these core foundation ones, I just want to revise back, to, review back to it. Okay. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Hashem said, let there be light, and there was light. Vayar Elohim es ha'or kitov. And God saw the light that it was good. And of course, the word or is Aleph Resh, and Vayar, the root of the word to see, is Resh Aleph. So, not surprisingly, they're really connected, but that's like beyond not surprising, except that maybe we never noticed. Okay, so what does it mean, Vayar Elokimisa or Kitov? Since obviously it doesn't mean, and God saw that it was good, since he knew that it was going to be good, since he created it to be good. So, Hashem cannot be surprised. Hashem's not going to be surprised by the results of his creation. Um, as opposed to, I think, the example we've given in the past, you make a new recipe and you taste it and behold, it is good. Okay? That is not what it means when God stirred up a new recipe for the universe and behold, surprise, oh, this one's good. Okay, I made, I've made five or six of these before. They didn't turn out so good. This is a good one. No, that's not what it means. Because God knows in advance what he's going to create. Sorry, I want to make sure these will all get back into the notes. Okay. So what does it mean then? I guess I'll start with Ramban and then move here. Ramban says the following. Hotsas hadvarim el hapoal bringing things into reality 
is called Amira, when it's God. <laughs> when Hashem uses a terminology of speaking, in particular Amira, it's not Dibor, it's Amira, in the Torah, this is an act of creation, of taking something that was perhaps before what we would compare in ourselves to being a thought or an idea and making it a reality. How, now it exists. That's called Amira. Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. And God said, let there be light. Vayomer Yehi Rakia. God said, Amira, let there be a firmament. Vayomer Tad Aretz. God said, let there be, let the land become green with uh, lawns and foliage. The kiyumam, their being made permanent, yikra re'ia, is called seeing. This teaches us when something stands according to God, things exist, they, they are there because of God's will. If God would not have an active will for that thing, then it would not exist. It is God's will that causes things to exist. And on each day of creation, for the act of each day of creation, the Torah tells us, Vayar Elohim, God saw it was good. This is the Ratzak Bikiyumo La'ad. When God sees that something is as he created it to be, in its best state, the way he wants it ideally to be, that's called that he sees it. So to simplify this without actually understanding what this means in terms of God, but trying to understand what it means in terms of our world, God thinks of something and wants it to exist, therefore it now has the ability to exist. He speaks it and it comes into existence, and he sees it when it is, has achieved, he sees it. If, if God creates a dolphin, until it actually has the full creative perfection of the dolphin that he willed, he hasn't seen a dolphin yet. What a dolphin really is, is only when it has achieved that. Now, with each step of creation, God saw this has achieved its keel, okay? And this, this gives us an understanding throughout Torah, because there are other places, very, very notably, Akedas Yitzchak. The entire story of Akedas Yitzchak is heavily saturated with re'iyah, with seeing, because it's a nisayon, which is a bringing of something, min hakoach el hapoach, a test, what we'd call like a test of a person, is a bringing of potential from its potential into actualization. When a person becomes actualized and now they become the person they were created to be, now God sees, that, that is described in the Torah as God seeing them. It doesn't mean he wasn't looking before. But what he saw before was not the entire long-term actualization of the person. They haven't gotten there yet. So he sees you in progress. Okay? But the seeing of someone where they've come to, that's, that's the uh, vayar. Okay. Okay. Now here, this is actually the Ksav HaKabola. I'm so excited I got a new saver. He talks about his definition of God saw the light. This is, can't say that it means he wasn't seeing it before. So he defines it like this. It means he took the light out until it was revealed. It was in a different category before. Previously, it was hidden or unrevealed. It was created because God said, let there be light. And then there was a process of the light until it became what we would call fully created, to the point where this is not different from the Ramban I just read. He's just saying it in a different way. 
okay, that there was a create, there was a process. Maybe it wasn't all in one burst. I don't know, maybe it was. <clears throat> but that there's a distinction between the creation of something and the achievement of it in its fully created state. The state which God was creating it to be that, and it will always then be that way. It's fulfillment. I don't know, what word am I missing here? We don't have 29 words for this in English, I guess. <laughs> Completion. Except that once it's complete, it doesn't stop existing, which is something that could be hinted to in the English completion. When something's completed, it could be done. Here, it would be completely created. And that that could be a process. It can be instantaneous, but it can be a process too. So this vayar, what he's defining it as not God saw, but God made seen. He caused it to be seen. Grammatically, that works. Okay, we had that in Shalach. They brought the fruit back. Where is it? Vayarum, and they showed it to them. Vayar, vayarum, they showed them. Okay, vayar means God showed the light. According to Ksav HaKabalah, it's not exactly the same translation as the Ramban, it's the same process of the Ramban, but it's not the same definition, I don't think. Maybe that is the Ramban. Reading Ramban requires an expertise like that's very, I'm not there, okay? Because the way that the Ramban sounds is that the Ramban is saying that when God sees that, that's, you know, but it's also him making it seeable. So I guess that's not a contradiction. If he's making it seeable to himself versus making it seeable to people. It's not the people seeing it that's the, that's the important thing here. It's the God showing it, making it seeable to himself, presumably, I guess. Okay. He takes it out, min gidro hakadum, from its former state, which was hidden, covered in its being, it was in the state of being formed. And from this hiddenness, he brings it into existence and beingness of existence. Because the creation of the world in general and all of the creatures that were, not only creatures, because that's only living things, anything created within the world specifically is all a process of yitzia min hakoach el hapoach. All of creation is a process of coming from potential into actuation and realization. That is what creation is. Davar shahaya mikodem nedar samurgash, a thing which was previously hidden from sensible existence, sensible as in being sensed, able to be sensed. Because by Hashem, everything is always fully realized. He's not time-bound. Anything that God can conceive of fully exists. So it's only within the time-bound, I guess that's the vayar, the showing it into the world, whether someone is there to see it or not, but the putting it into the physical world where it can be sensed in the physical world fully, that's re'iyah. That is the re'iyah, and I guess that is the concept of or, which transfers right energy to where it can be seen. And the, the whole idea, the whole topic of Bria Sa'olam, the creation of the universe, is a process of, that can be compared to the uncovering of that which was previously covered. And that is what Vayar Lukim Esa'or Kito, Vayar, all the Vayars mean. Okay, it's quite, a, quite an astonishing and helpful Ksava HaKabbalah. Okay, so to go back to something that I'm quite sure we did talk about, although I don't remember when, about Nisyonos. Maybe Hanukkah time when we talked about Nisim. I don't remember when we talked about this, okay? It was after all of these things, this is in... And the Lord tested Avraham. I wonder if the reason Hashem is called over here Elohim is because in creation he's called Elohim. There is a new creation happening here with Avraham and Yitzchak, right? 
And he said to him, Avraham, and Avraham said, Hineni, here I am. You hear it all in a different way, right? Okay, so what does it mean, Ha'elokim Nisa es Avraham? Hashem tested Avraham, and the Ramban taught us over there. What is a Nisayon? It is always in order, because since a person, in order that a person should always have complete sense of control over his choices. If he wishes, he can do. If he doesn't wish to do, he can hold back. Okay? That doesn't mean we're always successful in what we've chosen to do. But in order that we have the choice of it, something is called a nisayon from the point of view of the one being tested. From the point of view of God, who is the one who tests, this is not a test. He knows exactly what a person will and will not do. But since we don't know, we have free will. From God's point of view, Ha'elokim Niso Asavram, this is a process of bringing lehotzi hadavar min hakoach el hapoal. It's an act of creation. A nisayon is an act of creation. Bringing something out from its potential to its realization. Lios lehotz, in order that the person will have the full reward for their good deeds, a full reward for their good heart, because the full reward for the good heart doesn't come out until they are turned into deeds. The thoughts of the heart are turned into deeds. And this is always, he says, all nisyonos in the Torah are for the good, for the benefit of the one being tested. Always. Because God already knows. But this is an act of creation. Okay. And Hashem said, take your son that you love, and bring him to the mountain which I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> and Avram got up and he took the donkey and he took the other young men and he took Yitzchak and they chopped wood and he went to the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, he lifted his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. So something changed. This is where you have the vayars start pouring in. He said, you stay here. And, you know, Rashi says over there, he asked them, does anybody see what I see? And Yitzchak did, and the other two didn't. So he said, you wait here, and the two of us will continue on. Because that, if it's been shown to us and revealed to us, then that's something that we're going to. And he took the wood, and he put it on his son, and they went together. And Yitzchak said, I see... Most of what we need for this korban, except a sheep. And Avram said, Elohim yire lo leola bini. God will show for himself the sheep. <laughs> he, will, he will make seen to himself which sheep he wants. He'll pick out what he, right? Okay, that is a very strange comment. And we're just starting to see this concept of the re'iyah. They came to the place and they built the mizbeach and he tied his son to it. And the Malach called out from heaven and said, Avram, Avram, he said, here I am. He said, don't touch the boy. Ki yadati, says God. Now I know, ki kimata, that you have fear of God or that you see God, right? Really? Now the contrast to that is, velo chasachto es binchas you did not withhold your son, your firstborn, from me, which... I understand in a new way because one thing the Ksav HaKabbalah says also in Bereshis, Chosachto means you held back, but it's the same letters as Choshech. Lachsoch is to hold, withhold. Choshech is darkness. He says Choshech is a withholding of light. It's an active thing. That's why it's an actual creation. It's a withholding of light. It's the opposite of Yirei Elokimata. Yirei is causing light to be seen. Right? It's related to or, and chosachto, withholding, is a holding back of what you could be influencing. You could be giving, and you're holding it back. That's choshech. And Avraham lifted up or elevated his eyes, and he saw. And behold, there was a ram, and it was tangled up, so he took it, and he brought it as a korban. And Avraham called the name of that place Hashem Yireh. God will see. Which nowadays, or up until now, people will say on this mountain, God will be seen. Okay.
so. There are many commentaries on that, which are awesome. But I wanted to read one in particular, which is the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar says, Vayikrashem hamakom Hashem yireh. He called the name of this place, God will see. Which today, or up until today, people will say, on this mountain, God will see. This is also referencing the fact that on this mountain, all of the males will be seen. Meaning everyone comes up to this mountain to be seen for Aliyah Laregel. Kribe, he called it Yir'eh, God will see, because we come to be seen by God, so to speak, which we understand differently. If you come to be seen by God, it means you come more holy yourself. The way that you come to be seen by God is not by showing up at a certain place, even though there is a process called Aliyah Laregel. The way you come to be seen by God is by taking yourself from the Koach El HaPoel, from your potential into your actualization. That's how you come to be seen, because now we've learned something about what being seen means. It's an act of uncovering that which is covered, of revealing that which is hidden within. Okay, Not, not that which should remain covered. <laughs> Lest I be misunderstood. Okay. Therefore, it says here, God will see and be seen. This is all the same idea, really. Okay. Now, what do we do about the fact that it says that Avram called it Hashem Yir'et, which it shall be said today on this mountain, God shall see. Like, what is that about? Even if we said Hashem Yir'et, Hashem Yir'et, but why the whole, that it will be said today? It's like, you don't even know what time frame this phrase is talking from or into. So I didn't realize it's so late. Okay. Okay. So I think we needed all of this background to get a little taste of this Kliyakar. He says, here's how I explain it. He called this place God will see. Mashma. Lahavi. Lefishamakom Kadosh Zeh. Logila Hakadosh Baruch Lishum Birya. God did not reveal this place to anybody. He didn't, even Avraham, he said, go take your son to the place I will tell you. He didn't tell him where it was. All throughout the Torah, Hashem says, El asher yivchar Hashem. The place that God has chosen. Really? And where is it? It's a secret. <laughs> right? David HaMelech was running away from Shaul. He ran to Shmuel. And they sat all night when he had this on his head that at any moment the guards might come banging the door down. And they learned together and studied and looked out over the scenery and poured over maps and figured out where it must be. God never actually said. He didn't even tell Avraham where the Akeda was. He said, God, I'm going to tell you where it is. Does it say he told him where it is? He saw where it was. He, first, he told him, I'm going to tell you where it is. Right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering this right? Take your son to the mountain, I'm going to tell you. It doesn't say he told him. It says he saw it. Okay, but now we learn something, remember, from that Ramban back in the beginning of Bereshis. The Amira puts it out into the physical world as being there. The Re'ia is seeing it as it should be. And there's a process that leads from Amira to Re'ia. That is a process called Min HaKoach El HaPoa. There was a process that he went through for three days of walking mm-hmm. from the po- koach to the koal. Okay. God did not reveal this place to anybody. Ki afilu Avraham. Even to Avraham, he said, one of the mountains which I will tell you, and we don't find that he told him anything. Zulas mashahirgish Avraham. Only that which Avraham felt when he saw Anon Kashur al Heharim. He saw there was a cloud firmly attached to one of the mountains. And from that, he was able to sense what it was. That's how God told him. That's also an instructive point. Okay? 
Nonetheless, there is no speaking, there are no words. Now, I should just point out that that verse, that is a paraphrase from There are no words spoken that are not heard somewhere. So I don't think that what the Kliyakar is saying is there are no words. We, we didn't hear that the words were spoken, and yet no words are spoken that aren't heard in some way. <laughs> That's really what that verse means. <laughs> this mountain, which God desires, uh, which he loves and craves, to dwell upon it, to be present there, he hid it. He hid this, the location of it. He wants to be there, and yet he doesn't tell you where there is. He wants to meet you there. Where? Figure it out. <laughs> if you loved me, you'd know. <laughs> Figure it out. For the reason which I will tell you in Parshas Re'eh, Therefore, Avram called this place Hashem Yir'eh. God will, will see, as in what he said to Yitzchak, Hashem your Elo, Elohim your Elo Haseh. God will see for himself his sheep. Kach Amar, Sheyavo Hazman. This is his way of saying, the time will come, Asher Hashem your Eh, when God will see. He'll see his sheep. He'll, he'll see what is fitting for him when it shows itself. When we show ourselves, then God will see us. Then he will choose this place. And at that time, it will be said for all generations, today, meaning on and on and on, we will continue to be able to say because Hashem seeing something, the Ramban said, is when it is at the Kiyom. It reached where it needs to be as fully created for all generations. Bahar Hashem Yeroya. Hayom, the low Kodem, but not before that. Until that time, it isn't revealed yet by God. Revealed as in uncovered. It's still hidden in some way. Okay. So, what do we get from all this? <laughs> I forgot I was going to show you the one in Ray. One in Ray is a little bit trickier. Um, I, I did look up the Kliakar in Ray. I assume, without knowing and without having read all the Kliakars in Ray, that he's probably talking about the first word, Ray. Ray, Anochi no se lifnechem, hayom brocha uklala. See, I am giving before you today brocha and klala. Blessing and curse. The bracha, if you listen to the mitzvahs of God, which I'm giving you. The klala, if you don't listen. I think it's interesting here that we have another set of see and listen. See the bracha and the klala by listening. See it by listening. I think that's a little bit what he was hinting to back in, all the way back in Bracious and Vayera at the Akedah. God Avram has to listen in order to see it. <laughs> right? It's like a hearing, and then he can see. It's a seeing, not by being shown, but by listening. Mm -hmm. And yet it's really seeing. So seeing, in this case, sounds more like insight. It sounds more like insight, and yet there is a real seeing also. It's not only metaphorical. What it sounds to me like, putting all of these sources together, is this. That there is a process of growth inside of us. That is a process of getting to the stage from speech, Amira, to seeing, or being seen. That process is called Min HaKoach El HaPoal. From the potential to the actualization. And the farther along we go, along the path of becoming more fully, I, I hate to keep saying actualized because I, I carry so much baggage from other philosophies of what people add into it. The farther along we go into becoming who we can be, 
to using the strengths that we have for the purposes, the powerful purposes they could be used. The farther along we go in that, the more we become visible and seen and seeable into the world. And the farther along we go in listening to the messages of the world, the more we see them. That's really a little bit what Rav Hirsch said about Yira, right? He said, and it's possible this is what he had in mind. I'm sure he had a lot more in mind, right? Where he says, if we find the beginning of the sentence, open your minds to the greatness of your God. Advance with your fathers to Sinai. And just as they beheld their God's greatness, majesty, and omnipotence, beheld how he and he alone is in everything, in the greatest as in the smallest, and the whole universe is enclosed in his greatness, so do you everywhere stand at Sinai, let God everywhere reveal himself to you in everything great and small. Seek him everywhere. Everything which has been, which is, which will be, above all, everything which has happened and will happen to you, refer everywhere and always to God, and think of it as being only from God. So will every creature, even the smallest, every change, even the slightest, every fleeting moment, recall God to you. It's like there's a kind of seeing that's listening and a kind of listening that's seeing. I don't think it's only metaphorical. Uh, one reason it's not only metaphorical is because when we stood at Sinai, we saw what which, that which could be heard, and we heard that which could be seen, which is not only a matter of crossing of senses, some kind of synesthesia. There's... Um, there's an activeness to seeing and an activeness to hearing, a, a noticing that can go with seeing and a listening that can go with hearing that we work on, but that also our capacity to see and hear becomes greater as we become greater. This is something that there are numerous sources in Torah for. When a person becomes greater, they actually see more of what they see and hear more in what they hear. Um, the world is more revealed to them. Mm -hmm. This is really all going together. Um, and Tammuz, back to the beginning a little, Tammuz is a month where they didn't see what they went to see. They showed what they wanted to show. They didn't see what they went to see. And they didn't make heard what was meant to be heard. But Thomas is really the seeing side, I guess. The hearing is not till of. Mm -hmm. And what would be the correction for that? I mean, the correction seems to be for us to try and see what needs to be seen and to help show what needs to be shown. So seeing what needs to be seen, I think we have a pretty good guidelines from Rav Hirsch, right? To make an effort I wrote to a very good friend this morning, or last night, I don't even remember. It's all running together. Um, about this point, and about saying out loud, right, when something was done for you, and then you start to see it more, mm -hmm. right? So the, you knock the cup over, and then it turns out to be empty. Thank you for not, for making the cup empty. Thank you for not spilling coffee all over this far. Right. Thank you for the parking place. Thank you that when I brushed against that brush against that bush with the car, nothing happened to the car. Just just noticing and saying it is a kind of increasing our noticing mm -hmm. and increasing increasing our gratitude and not getting distracted by the people and forces that could frighten us like the Miraglin because we, could, we can unlearn it. And this, the way to unlearn that fear, which is looking at that which is a waste to look at, basically. There's no point in seeing that, because God's got that under control. Right? Is by seeing that God's got it under control, that the only power is really his, the only force is really his, and therefore... You look past that, that's just like clutter, and you look behind it and see, right? You go look at a new house, if you would come back and talk about the furniture, whether it was nice and staged or whether it was ratty, even the paint, that's, that's a really bad way of touring a house <laughs> because the things that you're looking at and seeing 
They're not there to be seen. That's not what you went to go look at. What about the neighborhood? How big is the property? How sturdy is the house? How many rooms are there? How much space are you, are you zoned for? How well laid out is it? How many bathrooms are there? Are there closets? I don't know. Are there closets? Or, I don't know. But there was this fabulous chandelier. Well, who cares? Does that have anything to do with you? No. Because the owner of the house is going to move it. <laughs> you go into Eretz Yisrael. There are these big people. So? God, that's furniture. They're going to be moved out when you move in. Who cares? You know, if you come back talking about the tenants in the house. I don't know if I want to rent that house. The people who live there are such slobs. They have weird haircuts and tattoos. Okay, but I'm offering you the house. I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't planning on leaving the, the tenants in there when you moved in, right? So, good chodesh. Good chodesh tamas may be the beginning of a correction of our, of our vision and our seeing and our being seen on the mountain of God. Yeah. <laughs>